Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey, everybody, if you enjoy listening to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, now is your chance to become a patron of the podcast. Go check out www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. There's different tiered levels and each of one of them comes with something special and unique, including the Friday debrief, which is a short podcast episode that I record on Friday mornings, just me and my coffee. And it's only available on the Patreon page for patrons. So again, check that out. www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Happy Monday, everybody. It is May 18th, 2020, and I hope you had a really great weekend. I know the country is starting to open up places and you're getting out there and you're going shopping and more stores open. I don't know why the fuck Barnes and Noble isn't open yet. I don't know why World Market's open and Barnes and Noble's not open. All I want to do is go and hang out in a bookstore and spend ridiculous amount of money on books that I'm going to read one day. I mean, why is that so damn hard? But I hope you had a great weekend. I went to the liquor store. Don't judge. I mean, it's a pandemic. And when I was checking out, I said, she said something like, we're so busy and it's a, and we're, it's only a soft open. You know, they're calling it like a soft open of the state. She goes, oh, we're so busy and it's a soft opening. I said, this is more like a hard opening. And she said, those are the kind of openings I like. And I said, I'm new here and we need to be best friends. But she had a mask on, so I didn't know what she looked like. And I'm at the point now at my age, I can't be friends with unattractive people. I mean, I did that back in the day. Today, okay, let me not even finish this sentence. Let's play some music. Love this music. It is episode 25. Can you believe it? You've been listening to 25 conversations that I've had with incredible people, and it doesn't stop today. Today, Nicole Bissy came on, and she is fantastic. She's a photographer that lives in Missouri, and she came on because she, like me, has found her biological parents. I found my biological dad. She found both of her parents. So we compare notes of what it was like and how we did it. We also have new siblings. We were both raised only children. Now we have these siblings and her mom recently passed. And we talked about her, not her biological mom, her, her, I mean, her adopted mom, who she calls mom and has recently passed. And she left her such a great gift. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Nicole. Hey, Nicole, welcome to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. I'm so glad you could be on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited. You know, when I first sat down, I say this all the time. I always say like, oh, I knew I wanted you to be on the show from the beginning, but I really knew (laughs) that when I sat down and I was like, I'm going to write up all the people that I think should be on this podcast, you were on that list because you and I have so much in common that we found our biological parents after years and yeah um, it's so crazy how we know each other and then now we have all this in common it's just 
super fun. I know. Like, let's let everyone know that we met in 20, <laughs> I believe it was 2017. And, um, yeah, I, I was, host so. I was hosting a wedding. You were the photographer uh, for this wedding. And I have to tell you, I'm going to share this with you. I don't know if you know this, but when I met you, <laughs> I was so intimidated and afraid of you that day. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. I was so nervous. Like everything's going on. I'm trying to throw out inappropriate jokes. I'm trying to like drag the bride's dad through the ringer. But the whole time I'm like, Oh my God, she's so professional and so serious. And I'm so worried. I'm going to say something or get in her line where she's trying to take a photo and just fuck it all up. <laughs> well, you did great. It was awesome. Oh. oh my God. We should go into business together where I am like the wedding host and you are the photographer. That would be amazing. I'm I'm totally down for that. You could have, you could just lighten the mood constantly. Uh, it Keep would, everybody on their toes. It would be fun. I would love that. I remember, <laughs> I remember the only joke when I was just visiting the bride um, uh, in February, and I was talking about how I had this great joke that I wanted to say about her dad. I wanted to say something to the effect of. Um, has anyone slept with the dad here? All right, everyone put your hands down or something like that. But I was like, you know, I can't be, it, this is Kansas city. I can't get crazy. So yeah, we try to keep it wholesome here. This is the Midwest. It is the Midwest. It's Kansas city, Missouri. So before we get started though, I want to send out my condolences to you because I know that you've recently lost your mom and I know that's been very painful for you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, uh, it'll be six months this month. It's been, feels like yesterday and it also feels like a lifetime all at once. So many emotions, just one moment you're like, it's like she was just here yesterday and then another moment it's like, my God, I haven't talked to her forever. Yeah, and I still wake up every single morning checking my phone thinking that she's called because, you know, it's COVID-19. We're all sleeping in. It's, you know, I'm getting up at 11 a.m. these days sometimes. And I, so I'll think to myself, oh, no, I, I slept in. I wonder if my mom tried to call. I still do that since six months. So I, it really doesn't just, it, your brain doesn't really want to process in the way that you would like it to. And so you're consistently reminded in the strangest ways that someone you love isn't around anymore. Well, it, it you know, a lot of people think, this is what I believe. I believe a lot of people think they put a time limit on, well, I should feel better after this. Well, you know what? Six months, I should be fine. In a year, I think I'll be okay. But you really can't put a time limit on the pain of losing a loved one. Yeah, and it's not, it isn't linear. It isn't that you wake up and every day gets a little bit easier. You'll have days where you think to yourself, wow, I'm really, I'm improving. I'm getting better. This is great. And then the next day you wake up and you don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to talk to anyone and everything sucks. So really, you, you definitely can't put a timeline on it. It's, someone told me once that grief is kind of like waves and there will always be waves and they will always be big waves, but the waves get fewer and farther apart. And I have definitely found that to be accurate. When you... 
Say you wake up in the morning, you said that you wake up and sometimes you'll think, oh my God, I wonder if she called, tried calling. How does that set your mood for the rest of the day? Like you've slept, you wake up, you're like, oh, I feel good this morning. Oh, did mom try to call? Oh no, now I remember what happened. How do you continue getting up and moving throughout the day? It is hard. It's definitely a struggle to have that memory every morning and then try to have a good day afterwards. But, um, Sometimes I have a, a text from my dad or a text from a friend that I haven't heard from in a while, or I get an email that's really exciting, and that kind of helps propel me forward into the day and, and try to have a, a positive day regardless of the negative reminder. Well, that's, yeah, and I think that's important, you know, f- being able to depend on other people who either feel your pain, know your pain, have lost a family member like that to reach out to you. I think that's a great way to start the, you know, moving on through the grief process. Yeah, definitely. People are always afraid to reach out to someone who has lost someone. I have a lot of friends that say, I'm sorry, I haven't contacted you. I just didn't want to bother you. I didn't want to bring it up. But it actually helps me when people message me and say, Hey, I'm just thinking of you. I know things have been tough on mother's day. I had probably a dozen friends message me just saying, Hey, I'm thinking of you. I hope you're having an okay day. And that really made me feel good to know that uh, I matter enough to some people to, for them to think of me on a holiday that they know is going to be tough for me. That is so, you know, I always walk around thinking people are horrible. People are horrible. And then I hear a story like that, where people are reaching out to you on mother's day. It gives me hope for humanity. So that's good. But I think that, you know, sometimes people just can't handle, or they don't know how to talk to someone about death. You know, it's yeah. one, it's one of those hard conversations. It's oh shit, like you said, like oh I don't like your friends were saying oh I don't know I, I didn't know if I can bring it up, but and you're like yes, bring it up. I love talking about my mom. She may not be here <laughs> in front of me anymore, but she's still inside my heart, and I want and I she's not gone from my memory. So I think that's important for people to know. Yeah, definitely. I my mom was always very. I remember her saying a lot of the time, you know, I hope that, I hope that when I'm gone, people remember me for the good reasons. Like, I hope that I made an impact on people. I hope that I changed their lives in a positive way. That was really important to her. And she left me several journals. I have probably 30 journals that she wrote in throughout the course of her life. And consistently in, in almost every journal, she says something about how her gift to the world is encouragement and she's always wanted to be an encourager. She's always wanted to make people feel like they can do anything. She definitely did that for me. And so the way I've tried to continue living for her and feeling, trying to feel better about, you know, yes, I've lost her, but there are things that she gave me that I'm never going to lose. I've really tried to be that encourager that I remember her being. And you can really, you know, someone's legacy is really something that doesn't have to end with them. You can absolutely continue it. And I'm just trying to do my best to to do what I know she would have wanted me to do. I'm going to (laughs) cry. I'm trying not to. It was the 30 journals. (laughs) It's the journals. I didn't. Yeah. So 
what a gift. Did you know she had these journals or was it a surprise that you found out after she was gone? Well, it was something that I always saw her journaling and it's kind of a family joke that both of us, we could have a million journals and we'll still go to a store, see a journal we like and buy it, write two pages in it and then move on to another journal. And I never really knew that she did that as much as I did. I didn't necessarily know that I gained my waste of journals from my mom, but when I was going through her journals, there's so many of them that she wrote like 10 pages in them and then she just gave up and wrote another <laughs> one. And then she would find it again like five years later and she would write, well, I didn't end up finishing this journal, but now I'm going to. And then that would be the last journal entry and she'd never write it again. So <laughs> it was kind of comical to go through them and realize that wow only maybe three of these are actually finished all the way through <laughs> now but um, i i did go ahead i'm oh, sorry go ahead. no no please i did know that she was journaling i just didn't understand how many journals she had I love this. I love how she would just start them and forget about that journal and move on to another one. Cause <laughs> you know, I'm a very big advocate of journaling. I think it's, I think everyone should journal. And if you can't afford mental health care or to speak to a counselor or a psychiatrist, I think journaling is like the cheapest form of therapy. Agreed. Um, just getting your thoughts down and just, you know, there's been times where I've been so frustrated with something and I will just write in my journal and I'll put the journal down. Maybe I'll go for a walk after and I'll think about it. And it's like the answers come to me just from writing them down. And I think people think, oh, journaling. Oh, that's not, that's, oh, that's whatever. But it's, it's so cathartic and healthy to journal. Have you ever done that process where you get an email that makes you really angry or you really don't like it? And so you write out an angry email that you would never send. It just has everything that you could possibly think of. And it's the worst email and you're calling them all kinds of names. And then you delete it and you respond in a, a positive way to them. Oh yeah. I do that every day with text messaging. <laughs> every single day. Yes. Uh, I yeah. kind of view journaling that way. I just write whatever, whether I want, if I don't want anyone to see it, that's what I'm writing. Right. Well, cause it's your own private thoughts. So I had a friend whose wife left her journal on the coffee table open and he just walked into the living room and he saw <laughs> what was written in there and he kind of freaked out. And then he contacted me. He's like, I don't know what to think. I was like, well, you can't think about anything because those are her private thoughts. And she accidentally left it on the counter. So you have to act like you didn't read it. Yep. And, um, but I could, I could sense his like, oh my God, she said this, this, and this. And I said, I understand that. But it's like, you just went into her brain and like excavated her thoughts. And yeah, she's, a, she might be careless for leaving it out. Maybe she didn't expect you to be home so soon. Just be glad it wasn't a dude. Yeah, that's yeah, it's true. Just a I journal. would much rather find a journal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because with journaling, you're going to write some, there's going to be days where you're like, I fucking hate so-and-so. If they walked out in front of a car, I wouldn't pull them away. Like there's days <laughs> where you feel that way. You might not say it Definitely. to the world, but you're going to write it in your journal. Right, exactly. What does journaling, sure. what does journaling mean to you? How long have you been journaling? 
I definitely journal just like my mom did. I will journal for two weeks straight and then I will not think about it again for a year and a half. And then I will be cleaning. I will find the journal and start writing again. But I was actually thinking about this the other day. Why do I write? Why do I do this? Why did my mom do it? I think all of us, even though that journal is our crazy private thoughts that we might not want anyone to see, I find myself always journaling as if someone's going to find it. And I started exploring, well, who is that voice? Who am I writing to? I think I'm writing to my future children. Oh, wow. Which is so interesting because now I'm reading my mom's journals. And so I never once really thought, oh, maybe my mom is writing these to me because they're so personal. Right. And then the other day, I was looking, I thought to myself, I wonder if she wrote something about mothers. Super creepy. The first journal that I picked up had an entire three pages of quotes about mothers. That's a conversation for another time. But in that same journal, there was a moment where she broke the fourth wall, as you will. And she said, Nicole, when I'm gone, if you ever get to read this, I just want you to know that you should pick someone to marry that's just like your father. Oh, wow. And she like went on to describe how great my dad was and how much she loved him, but it was such a weird moment because I wasn't really necessarily sure that she was writing them with me in mind. So in her mind, you know, so it sounds like she was writing in her journal for her own like personal growth, but also knowing at some point in history, at some point on the timeline, she would not be here anymore. You would get those journals and you would read them. Yeah. That's a gift. That's like a, like a little gift that she left behind for you to be able to read those words. Like she's right there telling you that's, that's incredible. Yeah, it's really nice to have those. And so in my own journaling, I think I've subconsciously been doing the same thing where I'm I'm writing these journals, partially because I want to remember how I felt in this life, um, in this time of my life, but also because I do expect that eventually I will have a family and eventually they might want to read it. Because I know that the journals that my mom left me are now my most prized possession because it's, it's what I have left of her. Right. Yeah, it's... Um, it's- I hate to say it like this, but it's like her still being alive. Those are her words. You have her words and her thoughts and her ideas in print. And so it makes sense that those are your prized possessions and that now you're starting to think, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this for, for my kids and for her grandkids. And then your, your kids are going to be able to read your mom journal, your mom's journals and yours. And now my, I feel like my heart's going to explode. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to have to get a storage locker for all of these journals. I, um, yeah, I think journaling is so, it's so helpful. And I'm just like you though. I will go like a week or two without journaling. One time I went like four months and I could sense that I was frustrated. I was angry. And then I found my journal. It was in my desk drawer. And I was like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know why I'm not journaling. So now I have this, a root, this rule that, Every day I do 30 push-ups. I read 50 pages in the book that I'm reading and I write in my journal and I've been keeping it up. So that's good. That's awesome. I take it that your mom was pretty wonderful. Yeah, I'm partial, but yes. Well, (laughs) I mean, you know, 
And I, I love talking to people who have had really good relationships with their mom because my relationship with my my mom was was very turbulent and very chaotic, um, toxic. Toxic is the word, toxic. So when I get to talk to somebody who had a really great relationship with their mom, I'm jealous, but also I just wanna pick their brain because I wanna say, what's it like having a mom who would love you unconditionally and just be a great mom. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a fun. Uh, I kind of have both sides of the coin because I'm adopted, and so my biological mother um, would probably fall in line with your mother. She oh. she was a drug addict. She was a prostitute. She was just kind of like off the rails in all aspects of life. And I was actually adopted by my parents that I consider my parents. So my mom that I've been talking about um, and my dad adopted me when I was a year old, but they had me in foster care from the time I was eight weeks old. So for most of my life, I didn't know my biological mom. And I was always wanting to know about my biological family. I wasn't sure that I wanted them in my life, but I knew that I had to figure out who they were. And part of my parents being amazing parents is that they were completely open to that idea. So they had paperwork for me with their names, my biological parents' names, uh, ready for me when I was old enough to kind of look over it and make the decision for myself. And they let me attempt to find my parents and I ended up wow. doing so and they were still completely supportive. My mom was completely supportive. She told me later that she was afraid that, you know, there was a part of her that felt really insecure. She really was afraid that I would decide that my biological parents were cooler than her, better than her or more special to me. And, um, she, she was definitely afraid, but she put all those fears aside because what I wanted was more important to her. Right. And, and that, you know, it, it figured out, it turned out great because I, I did find my biological parents. They were exactly who I was afraid they would be. And I got an amazing brother out of the deal. So I wouldn't take it back for anything. Um, but my mom's support was, so necessary and I always think about like what if they hadn't been supportive and then mm. I had found my biological parents and they were the shitty people that they were and then I didn't have anybody that was you just had horrible, all these but. yeah you just would have all shitty people and that would be terrible <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so yeah you know I can understand your mom's feet. Like I could imagine being a parent adopting a child as a baby knowing at some point the child is going to start asking questions, right? And that fear of what if, what if my daughter finds her biological parents and then wants to be with them more than me? I could feel that, that pain. Just talking about it, I can actually feel it. I can sense that anxiety. Yeah. How, how old were you when your mom and dad sat you down and told you you were adopted? I actually don't remember exactly when they let me know that I was adopted. I, I just remember always knowing for my whole life. Oh, okay. And so I asked my mom one day because I said, like, I don't remember having this huge moment of, oh, wow, I'm adopted. How did that happen? And she said, well, we just kept telling you 
we're your parents now. You did have other parents, but they were sick and they couldn't take care of you. So they let us take care of you. And she just painted it in a very positive light. So I think what I can only imagine is as a child, if something isn't made to be devastating to you, you, you just don't think it's devastating. So they painted it in such a positive light that I never really felt it was an important earth shattering moment to find out. And I just moved on and kept kept going until I was old enough to really understand what that meant. So do you remember how old you were when your parents gave you the f- paperwork and said, okay, here's your biological parents. Do with this what you want. I, the first time I remember asking about the paperwork, I was actually watching Annie. It's about Orphan Annie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I was watching it and I was just thinking, man, like, She's got that locket. I don't have anything like that. I want something cool like that. So I can think about my parents. And I was really trying to sensationalize it in my mind. I was probably eight or nine. And I turned to my mom and I said, you know, I really want to know stuff about them. And they hadn't really told me that they had information yet. And my mom said, well, we do have information, but I want to give it to you when you're a little bit older. And we know a little bit more about their situation. She just kind of tried to brush it off and make it less exciting so that I wouldn't keep bugging her but somehow I figured out that the paperwork was in my dad's office and I'll give you a little idea of the kind of child I was my parents would say Nicole don't unbuckle your seatbelt and I would go underneath the (laughs) seatbelt and not unbuckle it but be out of it that was my idea of following the rules I I couldn't just break the rules but I I wanted to do what I wanted that was kind of how I applied everything in my life as a child. So I found out somehow this paperwork was in um, an envelope in my dad's office. It said Nicole on it. I wanted to open it so bad, but I knew that was against the rules. They said I couldn't open it. So I would just hold it and look at it all the time and just think about what might be in it. And then when I was, I think I was 16, uh, I had just I brought it up. I believe that I was the one that brought it up again. I said, I just really want to know. I want to look at everything. And my mom pulled it out and showed me. And it was such an odd experience looking. I mean, I'd already known that I had a different name before I was adopted. So I knew what my original name was. Um, I knew that I had an older brother. But looking at their names and seeing my fingerprint and my mom's fingerprint, it was very surreal. And there was a, a log in my paperwork that showed how many times my parents had visited and essentially um, my both my parents visited once and then my mom visited a couple times missed a couple visits and then they just disappeared off the face of the earth okay so let's just because i'm old and i get confused let's call your biological (laughs) mom bio mom or you can call her by her okay. name or whatever, because I'm gonna I'm gonna get confused. Only because I like yeah. I said, I'm old. Like I call my biological dad, <laughs> I call him Sonny because that's his nickname. But um Okay. Now when you were sit I'm I'm really on this part where you're sitting there, you're probably what, like 14, 15 years old, and you're sitting in your dad's office yeah. and you're holding this letter with your name on it, with all of this information and you have the control. <laughs> To not open it. That's the, I yeah. did. That's incredible. While you're standing there, do you, do you start imagining like what your biological parents are? Do you create a story in your brain of who they are? Oh, all the time, 
all the time. I constantly had ideas of who they were. And I think, honestly, that control of not being able to open the envelope was knowing that once I opened the envelope, everything was going to change and I couldn't dream about what they might be anymore. Oh, wow. That's deep. Wow. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. It's like... Only... Go ahead. Uh, I was an only child, so I didn't have much of my imagination <laughs> to think about things. So I really wanted to dream up this amazing... I watched Annie all the time and thought... Actually, Annie probably also helped me stop from opening the envelope because I didn't want to find her parents. And that's kind of what I found. So I I really wasn't sure what to think, but I knew that I could trust the parents who raised me. And if they were worried, I knew it was fair for me to be worried. And when you say, so your, your, your adopt, your mom and dad, who are your adopted parents, but I'm going to refer to them as your mom and dad, they probably mm -hmm. had a little background on your bio parents, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they know all this information and I can imagine the conversations they have at night when the bedroom doors close, like, you know, she's going to want to meet her, you know, this is going to be <laughs> crazy. Right. So, yeah. So once you open the paperwork, you find out all this information, what are the next, how long does it take from that moment until you finally meet your biological mom and what's the process? So when I opened the envelope, I was about 16. So that was 2006. And it was a lot harder to find people back then. Uh, we didn't have quite as much of the World Wide Web as we have now. And so I tried my hardest to figure out who they were. But unfortunately, they have extremely common names. And so I was struggling to find anything um, that was substantial enough for me to find exactly who they were. So it took me about eight years of just random Google searching and finding addresses. I found where they lived when I was born and I tried to find the landlord. He had sold it. He didn't know who owned it when my bio parents lived there. But just I just kept running into roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. So fast forward, I'm 22. And I'm just in a spot, when you're in your early 20s, trying to figure out who you are, you're not really sure what you want out of your life. It was really weighing heavily on me who I was and and where my family was and if I wanted to be involved with them at all. So I remember I saw someone shared a Facebook post and it was one of, these started circulating a lot. It was a person with a poster and the poster had information about where they were born and who their parents were. And I thought, you know what? Whatever. Screw it. I'm going to try it. Sure. I'll just make this silly Facebook post. Nothing will happen. Whatever. So I start designing this Facebook post that I'm going to post. And my dad calls me. And he's asking me what I'm doing. And I said, oh, I'm just making this Facebook post trying to find my biological parents. I doubt anything will come of it. But whatever. I'll try it. So I hang up with him. I post it. And 45 minutes later, I'm calling him back because I already found my biological dad. I can't. That is so crazy. 45 minutes. And your your biological dad didn't follow you on Facebook, I take it. No. Well, the story is even crazier than the fact that it only took me 45 minutes. This is insane. So I post the photo. Unbeknownst to me, his niece sees it. And she sends him a message. And then she sends me a message. 
and says, hey, I think this is my uncle. Oh, my God. Well, I, he does message me, and I left out some specific information so that I could make sure it was my dad. Mm-hmm. For instance, I was a twin. Oh, my. Okay. And so my mom went into labor early, and my twin actually passed away during the birth. Okay. And so I withheld that information. And my biological dad messages me, and it turns out he's only been on Facebook for a week because he was in rehab, and he wasn't allowed to have Facebook. Okay. So so he's been on Facebook a week. I post the picture. His niece finds it, and then my bio dad messages me saying, hey, I, I think I'm your dad. So I ask him, you know, is there anything specific about my birth that I haven't mentioned? And he said, oh, you were a twin. Uh-huh. Well, well, obviously, that is right. the guy. So there we have it. I found my dad. Where did you, dad. where did you post this? If was it on your own? Is there like a page on Facebook where people can post like, "Hey, I'm looking for someone," or was it just on your own Facebook page? I shared it on my private Facebook page, and it was shared over two thousand times. I had people reaching out oh. all over the country asking how they could help. It was wild. And what year was that? That was in, so I was 22. So that was in 2012. Oh my. Wow. So you, you are contacted. So you're contacted with your dad and you start chatting with him and you're like, okay, yeah, you know, there's a twin, you know, there was a twin. How do you, mm-hmm. Do you automatically say, all right, I want to meet you? Or is it like, well, okay, this is enough for today. It, it quickly became about finding my mom because he said he hadn't seen my mom, my biological mom in, I think he hadn't seen her in over a decade. Okay. Actually, no, he would, he hadn't seen her in, in almost 20 years. So, so he said, well, I'll help you find your mom. I'd love to see her too. I haven't seen her in, in forever. So we start trying to find my mom, which is a lot harder because my biological mom doesn't believe in sharing her information anywhere at all. Okay. So it took us, it took us three days to find my biological mom, which is still not very long. And I've been looking for eight years and I called her because at this point I'm, I'm not sure how much involvement I want. I don't know who these people are. I'm not sure how how great they are of people. I'm, I'm really feeling apprehensive, but she wants to call me on the phone. So I call her and she's all excited. She's so excited. She's like, I can't wait to talk to you. This is so great. And then she says, your brothers and sister will be so excited. And I was like, what? My, my what? what? What are you talking about? Huh? Because I had only known about my older brother. That was my dad's son. So he's my half brother. I didn't know I had any other siblings. Okay. So she says, yeah, you have five brothers and one sister. Wow. And I said, what? <laughs> so turns out um, when my parents disappeared, biological parents disappeared off the face of the earth, they decided, you know what? Nah, let's not be parents. Let's just sell a bunch of drugs. And we'll just drive all over America together. It'll be super romantic. We'll just forget that we have any responsibility. And then they ended up in Florida. My mom got pregnant again. 
my dad said, get an abortion or I'm out of here. She said, nope, I'm not doing that. So he left. And that's why they broke up. And she had my brother. You know, this this is so, this is so fucking crazy because your entire story is basically my story. It's wow. It's so uncanny because so when my mom, when my mom got a pregnant with me, it was 1972. She was 26. My biological father was 42 and he had just gotten divorced and they were dating for like six months. She got pregnant and he was like, well, you need to have an abortion because I already have three kids and I don't need any more. And they wow. they were very Catholic. You know, both of them were very Catholic. And my mom was like, I can't have an abortion. So she decided to have me. It's literally, and I, I hate using the word literally. I've said this so many times because people use it wrong, <laughs> but it is literally the only th- right decision my mother made in her 56 years alive on this planet was to not not abort me. That is, that is the reason I hold, that's why I still have her, even though she was a horrible mother, I have her picture by my bedside because she did one good thing and that was not end my life. Yeah. So the idea that your parent, your bio parents were just running around, where were their other kids when they were just driving around selling drugs and like whoop-de-doo, no responsibility? Where did they give them up? You know, Unfortunately, so my dad had his one son, and his son lived with his mom. Um, the woman that he, he was married to her for a while had a child, and then my biological dad and this woman divorced, so his son lived with her. My mom has kids with several different men all over the place, okay. so it, it was really more of a, well, they, they took them away. That crappy government took my children. Oh, well, I guess I'll just go do this instead. And she has, I hate to paint her in such a native light because she does, she's come from a very horrible background. She didn't have a lot of structure for herself. Um, She made a lot of mistakes that she didn't have any support um, to kind of help her get through those mistakes. And I understand that the cycle has definitely not aided her in any way, but she definitely just, consistently would um, give everything a backseat. No responsibility. Let's just go ahead and do whatever makes me happy. I'm just going to keep moving and pretend that all of this painful stuff doesn't exist. You know, you said, um, it's so interesting. I wrote down, I, I was writing down while you were talking because I didn't want to forget about the part when you said her kids were taken away and she immediately said, oh, the crappy government's taking my kids. Oh, well, because people like that, they cannot take responsibility for their own actions. Like she can't just say, you know what? I'm a fucking mess and I can't take care of my kids. And the government came in and took them away. It's, oh, the government's taking away my kids. I find that to be telling with these parents who have made wrong decisions in their life. It's because they just, and they can't own, they can't take responsibility for their mistakes. That's exactly what it is. And I had a relationship with my biological father for a while, and I never started really any of a relationship with my mom simply because he would take responsibility for his mistakes and she would not. Right. Yeah, I am. Um, that, that's so important. 
It is. I have so like if you mess up. Oh, I just kicked over the trash can. I'm sorry. Um, I'm getting all worked up. See, I get all worked up. I, I should have drank a drink before I sat down. But no, um, if you mess up in life, if you're somebody I know and you screw up and you come to me and say, listen, I'm human. I fucked up. You know, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to say, all right, well, you took responsibility. Good for you. That's awesome. Forgiven. But just like your mom seems to be, my mom, she she didn't take responsibility. It was always someone else's fault. Always, yeah. always, always, always. If she, 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 I remember she wrecked her car once and it was... <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but because when she wrecked her car, she <laughs> fucked up her face because her bottom tooth went through her chin. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't, funny, but it was because she was, there was a car accident and she was watching that car accident. This is like 1978, 1979. Um, and she rear-ended another car, but the way wow. she shared the story was, it was those people's fault for having an accident, not that she wasn't paying attention to the road. That was the kind of, that was the kind of person I dealt with growing up. It was, oh, it's their fault because they had an accident. Of course I'm going to watch. No, Irene, you're driving the fucking car. You've looked forward. Hey, are we sure that we don't have the same mom? This is getting pretty wild. Well, yeah, no, it's, that's why I knew this would be an amazing conversation. Cause just from the little bits I know of your history, I was like, oh my God, it's, it's almost like a sequel to mine. Cause I'm older. So of course you're the younger one, you have a sequel, but did you ever do the ancestry DNA? How did you find her within three days? How crazy that you bring up Ancestry DNA because I've actually been on Ancestry DNA for the past twelve hours. Like I, I oh. stayed up till five AM last night doing Ancestry.com. That Found sucks. out that I'm related to the King of Bavaria or something. The King of Bavaria? But That's cool. The King of Bavaria is pretty random. Right. Um, I also did my my adopted family is related to um, a settler who was a huge part of he basically was his whole family was murdered in a massacre and he escaped and then was raised by Indians. Their story is very crazy, but I'm obviously getting sidetracked. So ancestry DNA, I still can't get anything from most of my biological family. My ancestry DNA, I only have one line that, that goes through because I just can't find anyone's information. It's insane. Oh, interesting. So, the way that I found my biological mom is I actually had a random stranger who's really good at finding people reach out to me and say, Hey, I can help you with this. I know how to do that. I used to work for an agency. So she oh. somehow found my, I think she found my biological grandpa's phone number and then he had the ability to get a hold of my biological mom. And then that, and then that's what brought you guys together. So it's, a, it was yeah. a lot of people working behind the scenes to make this happen. And it all started with you putting that post on Facebook. Yeah, I absolutely could not have found them without the help of my friends, family and strangers for sure. I did ancestry. I, I called it ancestry DNA, but it, what is it? Ancestry dot com. Oh my God. I'm showing my age. Cause now I don't even remember <laughs> names of things, but I did that because my husband, so I always knew I didn't have a letter 
like you had with all this information. Mm -hmm. Mine, all the information I got was was from my mom. So as I was growing up, she would tell me, you know what, your this is your dad's name. Your dad's name is Frank Ferentino, and he has three kids. And I would say, okay, well, where is he? And she'd say, I don't know. And I'd be like, well, if you know his name, why don't you, why can't we find, find my dad, just find my dad. And she would not do it. And then of course she married my yeah. stepdad who was the devil. He was a pedophile and an alcoholic, terrible. Like I said, remember, she'd only made one good choice in her life and that was not to <laughs> abort me. So yeah. I always, I always had his name, Frank Ferentino. So, um, and I'm like, wow, I sound like I'm in the Italian mafia going back to that. When you create stories <laughs> in your brain, I'm like, wow, my, and yep. you know, when I was growing up, my parents were horrible human. And what, remember, one of them is biological. One of them is an adoptive parent, but they're both shit shows. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm growing up like I'm going to run away. I'm going to find my biological dad. You know, my mom always told me that she had, he had had three sons. So I would always think I have three older brothers. They're going to protect me from my drug addict, alcoholic, pedophile dad. Like I created this story in my head. And that was in my like teens and 20s. And then in my 30s, I kind of just gave up the idea. I was like, you know what? If my mom was 26 and he was 42, he's probably dead. So let it go. And it wasn't until I was Matt, my husband, Matt, for his birthday, he got the Ancestry.com kit from his sister. And I was like, you know what? I should do that. And he was like, okay. And I said, I bet you I could find my my biological father. All I need is one connection. And he's like, don't get your hopes up. So I sent it in and then like four or five weeks goes by. It's around Christmas time. So it's taking slower and I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I wake up one morning and there's my results. And the first person to pop up on the relatives, it says, um, first cousin, Marie Ferentino. So right at that moment, I'm like, holy shit, Irene wasn't lying. Because, you know, when I was a 16-year-old kid, I was an only child, and I was a dick. I was a dick. Because, (laughs) you know, I had this, I was going through, I was being raped by my adopted father. My mom had no self-esteem, and she was just like, I know what's going on, but I can't help it because I can't even help myself. Like, big shit going on in this house. And- it was, it was just this moment of who is my biological father? And so I wake up and there's Marie Ferentino's name. And I walk out into the living room and I'm like, oh my God, Irene wasn't lying. Cause I remember when I was like 16, I would always say like, you're fucking lying. You're probably a whore. Like I was a bad kid. So, um, and then I started crying but I was crying because I couldn't call my mom and apologize. And so, and that was my first instinct. My first instinct wasn't, Oh my God, I, I have a cousin. And now the name is right. It was, Oh my God, I, I was such a shit about this. And I can't even call Irene and say, you know what, mom, you were right. I'm so sorry. He was my dad because I used to have these fantasies that, um, this is going to sound really twisted. But when you're fucked up, when you're a kid, a lot of things happen. I used to think my mom had sex with her dad and I was the offspring. And that was why they couldn't, they would never go find my biological dad because it was my grandfather and they didn't want to tell me. This is the story I told myself. 
I mean, in that reality, when you have no idea and someone has information and they won't tell you, your mind can come up with a lot of stuff. Oh, absolutely. And uh, my grandparents, because my mom, so, you know, when I was really young, my mom, she, of course, she was 26. I was I was born at 26. When she was 30, I was four years old. She hadn't met my adopted, my her new husband yet. And she would party every night and my grandparents would watch me. And I can remember one time my grandmother said, all right, if you're going to just leave them with us all the time, we want to adopt them. And then you're free. Yeah. You don't have to. And she was like, you can't adopt my son. And then my grandmother was like, well, then you need to be a mother to him. And, you know, I used to always sit there and dream, oh, God, why couldn't they have adopted me? Yeah. Um, but so then, you know, I um, just like you, I find out this cousin and then I get right on Facebook at 830 in the morning. So I started 830 in the morning. I'm like, Ferentino, this is how you spell it. I get on Facebook by noon. I have found that I don't have three brothers. I have one brother and two older sisters. And my dad is like 87 and still alive. Wow. How does that feel? Um, it, it's really funny because so it's noon, right? I've spent three and a half hours and I say to Matt, I find out all this information. And he goes, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, I, I think I'm going to email them. And he goes, well, why don't you do this? This is a lot of information you've just found out in three hours. You've been waiting 45 years for, why don't you just sit on it for like 24 hours and then figure it out. I was like, you're right. He goes, I'm going to go take a nap. I'm like, you do that. By 1201, I was emailing <laughs> one of them on Facebook <laughs> because I yeah. have no control. I'm not like you. I would have ripped that envelope open. <laughs> right. And um, so Facebook, as much as Facebook and social media is horrible, it does bring people together. So I email them all three. I find, I think it was two of them that I found and I emailed them like, you might want to sit down for this, but I'm your long lost brother. <laughs> Here's some details. <laughs> you know, we share the same first cousin. Well, of course, Immediately, they thought I was like trying to steal their money <laughs> because my wow. one sister had just had her identity stolen. So they started freaking out. Oh. So, um, oh, no. yeah, so they're, so they're like, we should talk on the phone. So I talked to my brother, Frank, and my sister, Lisa, on the phone for the first time. And it, it, this is a cute story. I'm across the room. I'm very loud. I'm Italian. I always knew I was Italian, but um, I'm talking to them. And they're not on speakerphone. It's just me on the phone with them. And when I hang up the call, I look at Matt. He's across the room. And I said, I just talked to my brother and sister. And he goes, well, I know they're your brother and sister because they're so loud. I could hear them from across the room over the <laughs> phone. I was like, yes, I am those people. So, so fascinating how you can find this information today. Yeah. It is really incredible. If I hadn't found them in 2012, I joined Ancestry.com a couple of years later. I, I definitely would have somehow found them the same way, or at least I haven't found anything on my dad on Ancestry.com. But I have, I did find a cousin that was related to my biological mom. So I would have found them the same way that you found your, your dad. Mm -hmm, right. Now, have I don't know if I've missed this. Have you met your biological mom in person? Yes. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> so when we found my biological mom, my dad, remember, he had said, well, I'd love to meet her. Okay. Um, or see her again. And I still hadn't decided, oh, do I want to meet them? I don't know. So I decided, okay, I'm going to go meet my biological dad. I'm going to take my dad with me. 
And I remember we had the address and there was a gas station pretty close by to his house. So I pulled into the gas station and I'm getting gas, but really I just need a minute. And my dad and I are both just sitting there like, oh, what are we doing? This is so weird. And we're looking at each other and we're just thinking the exact thing. Like, what are we doing right now? It's so wild. So we get there and I remember I walked up and um, Bonnie Rake was playing. Do you know who Bonnie Raitt is? <laughs> yes, I do. Let's give him something. To, yeah. I don't think I can sing that legally right yep. now, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that, she was playing, I can't remember what the song is called, but that was playing super loud and I knocked on the door and my biological dad answered the door and I'll just try to paint a picture for you. He's six foot, six and a half. He has a mustache that would rival Sam Elliott and he sounds like James Earl Jones. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So we, he's like, come on in. We walk and we sit down. And, and now at this point, I don't know anything about his history or my mom's, except I knew that they weren't in the best place to take care of me. And they had, they had disappeared. That's really all I knew. I knew that my mom had drugs in her system when I was born. That's all I knew. So we sit down. He, he tells me about kind of his life and apparently they were, my biological parents were dating for six years and they decided they wanted to have kids. And so they got pregnant with me and my sister and he, so to kind of give you the idea of who he was, he sold cocaine and he, he um, went to prison for counterfeiting checks and making fake money and you know that guy he's that guy oh criminal so, criminal he's a criminal huge big criminal yes <laughs> um so so he's telling me all this now meanwhile he has just gotten out of prison he'd been out of prison for about eight months he got into rehab and then he had just been allowed to move into his own apartment outside of the rehab center they've so been there a couple weeks and my biological dad decides like let's make a pizza while we're talking about this i'll never forget it he's sitting there the pizza's in the oven he's trying to tell me about my biological mom and he says your mother well well and then the the buzzer goes off for the pizza so he has to go get the pizza so i'm still waiting like what about my mom what is he going to tell me what is this what's happening he gets the pizza he takes it out of the oven he sits back down he says your mother was a call girl. And I said, God. uh, you mean like a prostitute? And he was like, well, yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> this isn't necessarily, I mean, it's kind of new information, but nothing I didn't guess, right? He just took so much time to tell me about it. It was such a buildup. Turns out that they met because he was selling drugs to her pimp. And he thought that they would get along great together, the pimp did. So they, that's how they were introduced. Uh, so and the, the reason I bring up the pizza, outside of it took forever for him to tell me that, because the pizza is, he cut the pizza, and I don't know if you've experienced this after meeting your biological family for the first time. He cut the pizza, gave me a slice, and gave me the pizza with a fork, which is weird, right? People don't eat pizza with a fork. It's kind of weird. Yeah. I have eaten pizza. I've eaten pizza with a fork my entire life. Interesting. 
but he's never met me. And we're both sitting there and I didn't think anything of it because I've always eaten pizza before. So I'm sitting there eating pizza and I look over at my dad who raised me and he's looking at my biological dad eating pizza with a fork and he looks over at me eating pizza with a fork and he looks back at my biological dad and back at me and I can see the wheels turning and he's thinking, what, they're both eating pizza with a fork? Well, <laughs> there's been multiple instances now of meeting my biological family. It's just these random things like that that I've done my whole life that turn out are apparently hereditary. Well, I definitely want to. I, I definitely want to talk about DNA. It's one of my questions, but I just have to tell you that <laughs> when I met my siblings for the first time, we went to an Italian restaurant. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that when you said pizza, I was like, oh my god! When I met my siblings we were having Italian food in a restaurant and they were crying meeting me. My biological dad wasn't there. It was just my two sisters and my brother. And I remember my brother held my hand and he was crying. Like we wish we would have known about you because they didn't even know about me. I'm such a secret. Right. And, um, I have no, I have no tears to shed. Like, and I almost feel like this monster because they're all crying and teary-eyed. I'm just sitting there like, yeah, well, I knew you guys existed. Well, I didn't know your sexes, but I knew you existed. I'm sure I'm a complete <laughs> shock to your system. Like, yeah. first of all, now you have to deal with, you have a baby brother. Second of all, you have to deal with your dad kept it a secret for 40, all these years. And one of the things that they struggled with was the idea that he told my mom to have an abortion. Oh, I bet. That because, probably shattered their entire idea of who he was. Well, he wasn't the best guy anyway. He was, you know, it's so funny because what, <laughs> for some reason, there's a reason why biological parents give up their kids for adoption. It's because they don't know how to be parents. <laughs> but he was a parent. He had three kids, but he wasn't, he wasn't the best parent to them either. But to me, he wasn't in the picture. So I'm meeting him with a clean slate. You know, I've already gone through all that anguish in my 20s. Like, how could he leave me? Why would he leave me? You know, how could you not love your child? So by the time I'm 45, I've gone through 10 years of therapy. <laughs> I've come to this conclusion where it is what it is, right? Now I meet these people and they're yeah. sitting there looking at me like, you look just like us and you look just like dad and I can't believe he'd want an abortion because he was raised Catholic, you know? So it was this, um, with one of my siblings, we actually got into a heated disagreement about that. And I was like, listen, I haven't known you for 45 years, so I don't need to know you for the next 45, you know? Um, yeah, but we cleared it up. But, um, when you're sitting there and, you're meeting your biological dad for the first time. Are you looking for those cues? Are you looking for like, how can he prove to me he's my dad? And then boom, he's eating with a fork pizza. My, my whole life, I would envision knocking on their door. I, I never knew if they would be together or separate. I would just, for both of them, I would have this, this thought of, okay, I walk up to the door, I knock, they open the door, and then they close it in my face. And so that's what I just kept reminding myself. If you ever find them, they might close the door in your face. And I just prepared myself for that. So just walking in and sitting down was a shock enough to me because I hadn't prepared for that part. I just kept telling myself that they wouldn't want me. 
so <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm I'm hearing all of these stories and he's being so brutally honest with me about how his life and my life came to be and it was really hard for me to think about anything other than what is happening. I can't believe this is even happening because to me, I'd already, I already felt like he had proven that he was my dad because he knew that I was a twin, but just looking at him, looking at me, our mannerisms, we're eating pizza the fork. I mean, it is just, it was insanely obvious. And that's something that as, as someone who is adopted, it's always really crazy to me to look at parents and their children and how similar they are and how they look the same. They have the same nose or the same eyes or the same hair. And I've never been able to experience that until I found my biological parents. I had no idea what it felt like to look like someone else. Mm, yeah. So I was really fascinated with, I mean, we took a photo that first day together and we were holding, our hands were relaxed in the exact same way. Our body language was the exact same. Our smiles were the exact same. It was just such a trip to see that. And I don't know if you felt the same when, when you met your biological family. You know, when I met them, I was I was like a little bit in shock. You know what? They live in Connecticut. Here's the weird part. I grew up 10 miles from them. Like they, wow. were, they were only 10 miles away. Like my biological dad, Sonny, um, my biological dad, Sonny, he, he used to drive a taxi. So the quick end of the story is when my mom said, no, I'm not going to have an abortion. They broke up and she had me. And at that time it's 1972. She's a cashier at a little delicatessen restaurant or whatever. And he would come in and say, did you have the baby? Yes, I had the baby. I'd like to see a picture. No, you're not going to see a picture of him because you didn't want him in the first place. You're not going to see a picture of him now. That was my mom's mentality. Whether it's right or wrong, I personally think it's wrong, but who I was a baby, so I can't say anything. So he would drive a taxi and um, he would park the taxi out in front of my grandparents' house because we lived with my grandparents. So I can remember when I would be like four, four years old, my, grandma, my mom would call from work and say, don't let Joe go by the front window because I think he's going to be out there in a taxi. And I can remember seeing the taxi. I can remember being a little kid looking out the back window. There was a taxi. My grandmother would pull me away. And for years after that, for years after that, I would have a nightmare I remember it so vividly. I would have this nightmare where I was home alone. I was a kid, of course, and I would walk to the, because the way their house was, the front of the house was the living room, but you, and the kitchen was in the back of the house and you entered from the back. Really weird. So I would have this dream where I was looking out the back, the living room window to the street and a taxi would pull up and a vampire would get out of the taxi. And the, it, the vampire would look at me and I had this dream for years, not just once. Yeah. Cause I remember it so vividly and he would make eye contact with me and I would be like, Oh shit, the back kitchen doors open. And he would start walking very, very, very slow up the driveway. And I would book to the kitchen door. And by the time I got there, he was standing there and then I would wake up. So wow. I thought my dad was a vampire. <laughs> No, no, but that is, that is a, a great name for this, uh, this podcast. I thought my dad was a vampire. I thought my dad was a vampire. So <laughs> when I, when I, when I met them sitting at that Italian restaurant, he was at his, he lived in a nursing home. So, but I'm watching these siblings of mine and I'm like, Oh, I look, I, I look like, I look like 
Anne Marie. I really look like Anne Marie. She's the oldest sibling I have. But my my personality is like my brother Frank because he's like fuck this, fuck that. He's very gruff. He's you know, rah, rah. and then my sister Lisa is the one who tries to just keep everyone happy and she'll sacrifice her own happiness to make sure the family's taken care of. So I, I was like, wow, like I don't even know these people, but I can already start pulling pieces of them. I'm a little bit of all of that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes total sense to me. And then, um, so they're like, okay, are you ready to go meet Sonny? And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I want to meet my dad. Right. Cause he's 80 something. He, <laughs> this could be it. This is the only time. So they say <laughs> to me, they tell me, we're not going to tell him you're well before that they had been saying, you know, you have another son and he's got sundowners like dementia. So they would say, you know, mm -hmm. you have another son and he would be like, what? And then they would show him a, I sent them pictures of me and my mom. And they're like, do you remember this woman? And he's like, no, not really. So. They're like, we're just going to tell him you're a family friend. I'm like, all right. So we get there and he has an aide staying with him. But what we don't know is all morning, the aide has been telling him your other son's coming today. <laughs> cause they didn't want to let, yeah, they didn't want to freak him out. So we're keeping it all a secret. Cause they're like, we hope you're not offended. And I'm like, oh no, listen, I'm the outsider. You guys are the kids that he's had his own, I'm just coming in. So I don't make any decisions. I don't give a fuck. Right. So we get there and the aides like, this is your son. And they're all, everyone's shocked. And I'm like, I could kill this. But, um, yeah, it, it was this weird moment and he starts, he's, he's very sassy. He's very funny in a sarcastic bitchy way. And I'm like, dad, <laughs> <laughs> like there's no oh. denying it. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, the thing that I took from that was he started rumbling verbally with one of my siblings. Like they, you can sense that there's a lot of shit that hasn't been resolved in this family. Right. Tension. Yeah. Just, just like, Oh, like he'll say some, he said something, he said something about moving them to California or something. And then one of my sisters said, oh yeah, is that when you moved out there for your girlfriend? And then we like, it's just crazy. Right. So it's this moment. I have this moment of clarity where I'm like, wow, like he didn't raise the only bad thing he did was not be a parent. But other than that, I can't really be mad at him because he hasn't done anything wrong to me. He hasn't abused me, he hasn't beaten me, he hasn't done like he just wasn't there. So it's a clean slate, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, because I can't be yeah. mad that he left me because I mean, at the end of the day, the stories they've shared about him, I'm like, well, God, it wouldn't have been good living with him either. So I'm fucked all the <laughs> way around. They're outside so how does it mowing the grass. I'm sorry if you could hear that. Um, oh, it's okay. Of course, they're right by the window too. Do you not know I'm running a podcast in here? Oh, so what were you gonna God. say? I'm sorry. Oh, um. I was just going to say, like, now that you have these memories of seeing that taxi and knowing now that that was your dad, how do you feel about about all of those years not knowing that's who that was in the taxi? Well, I think I always knew it was my dad um, because I remember okay. I my mom, Irene, would always tell my grandmother, like, 
Joe's dad, Joe, they called me Joseph. Joseph's dad, if he's out front, don't let Joseph go out and play. Cause I think in her mind, he was going to kidnap me or something. But I was like, he didn't want me in the first place. Mm -hmm. He probably just wants to see what I look like. Just show him a picture. And then he's probably not going to come around anymore. Um, yeah, but no, I, I just, I just always would say, why can't you go find him? That was my thing. If you know who he is, go get him. I want to meet him. Maybe he'll love me. Maybe because I used to think, how can he not love a baby? Uh, you know, it was like, how can you not love the child you've brought into your life? But I think that happens a lot. Yeah. And um, so, yeah. So, but after I heard stories from my siblings about my biological dad, who now I think is, I've, I'm kind of worried about him because he's in a nursing home and like nine people on his unit have COVID-19 and he's like, eight, he's going to be 90 oh. years old this year. So I'm a little concerned yeah. about him. But um, now that I've heard stories about what it was like growing up with him as a dad, something in my mind tells me, may, you know, maybe Irene made two good choices in her life. She didn't abort me and she didn't let him in my life because maybe she knew something about him that she thought he's not going to be a good dad to my kids. So I might as well just get him out of the picture. Does that make sense? Well, and I often wonder, you know, she was rejected too. He was rejecting her as well as you. And I wonder if a part of it is her, she didn't want to let him into your life because she wanted to have the upper hand, you know, in relationships when somebody breaks up with you and then they want to come back to you, you're like, no, I'm not going to let you come back to me. I'm, I'm here and, and you're over there. And that was your choice. Almost like that vibe, except like, no, you can't see my son because you left and you left me and I'm not going to let you have what you want because right. you chose to leave. Using like using your child as a pawn, which happens every day of the, every day of the week, right? Using, yeah, yeah. That, wow. I never even thought of it like that, but maybe she felt so rejected that the idea of, well, I can't let you be his son when you didn't want to be, I can't let you be his father because then I'm going to have to see you all the time and you broke my heart and I'm, we're not doing that. Wow. I never even thought of that. Yeah. I, I think that even if it was on a subconscious level, she probably was um, just really afraid of letting him into not just your life, but hers as well. Right. Cause he had like, I think he had like gambling issues and, you know, mm. just, just a lot of shit, you know, in the seventies, everyone was fucked up. So that's true. Yeah. And the eighties. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I always joke about this on the podcast, but I'm paying $95 an hour with a therapist to fix those problems that these people caused 40 years ago, <laughs> which I think is so yeah. unfair. Like if Irene was alive now, I would be like, I'm just sending you the bill because you should be responsible for me trying to have a healthy. <laughs> the adulthood. Oh, that'd be so great if Wouldn't we could that... invoice our parents. Oh my God. You <laughs> fucked me up so much. Here's an invoice for all the therapy I've had to be in. <laughs> and you're going to buy me some journals. Now, yeah. <laughs> have you, so you had five brothers and a sister. Where did you fall in the birth line? So this sounds incredibly sensitive, but I honestly have a really hard time keeping most of my siblings straight. I'm really close to one of them. I'm fairly close to another, and the rest are, are just basically names on a page to me, so I'll do my best. Okay. So my oldest brother, and I'm going to tell you where they are in life because it's 
a shit show. So there's um, my oldest brother is John. He is in prison for murder. Oh my god! I didn't my, expect that. Yeah, my I have one sister that's Missy, and she's next in line. I'm pretty sure her and John have the same dad. She has ten children, and they are all in the system. Oh. So she is my mother reincarnate. She had ten kids, and she and doesn't have any of them. She doesn't have any of them, as far as I know. It, it seems to be that the consensus is, well, the government took that one. I'll just have another one. See how that goes. Well, because there's money when you have kids. When the government doesn't take your kids, you actually get paid for having kids. And when you're that type of person, that's your income, probably. Yeah. So she's she's been going that route. Uh, I've never met either one of them. Uh, the first When I first met my... Well, I hadn't met them yet. When I first found everybody, my older brother, John, called me to ask if I could, if he could live with me. And that's the only time I've heard from him. This is the murderer? Obviously, said no. The murderer, yes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't mean to say it like that. It just, it just I mean, came out. I'm so is. sorry. Yeah, well, I'm glad you it said no. <laughs> yeah, definitely said no. Um, and then I think after, after Misty is, oh, boy. I feel like there's one more in there somewhere, but then there's me and then there's my brother James and we both have the same mom and dad. And then after me or after James is Jesse and Jesse passed away. I think two years ago, I did get to meet him in the hospital. He had a heroin overdose and sadly he did um, start going to therapy and he was trying to get, through his addiction, but he had to have dialysis because he did so much damage to his body and he got a cold and died because his, his oh body God. couldn't handle it. How old was he? So he was 19, I oh, think, Jesus. 19 or 20. <sighs> That's well, terrible. actually he would have been 20, 22, early 20s. And then my youngest brother, Zach is, he just got out of prison he was uh, basically he went in um, as a juvenile and then went into regular prison and then was released I think a year ago. He's also in his early twenties. And then on my dad's side, I have one brother. He's a half brother, and he is married to his high school sweetheart. He lives in Oklahoma and he has two of his own kids. Super great guy. Oh, that's nice. And then yeah, and then my brother that we have the same mom and dad. He's amazing. I. He's, I'm definitely closer to him than almost anyone else in my life. Um, the first time I met him, he lived in San Antonio. I drove down to meet him, and it was instant. It was like, I don't know how close you are to your siblings that you met, but I, just from the moment we met, it was just like we'd grown up together. It was insane. I felt like I'd known him forever. We're so similar. Um, he ended up coming up to live with our dad for a while he'd also never met our dad so that was really crazy for for him to finally meet his dad because he's grown up in and out of foster care uh, my mom would sometimes our biological mom would sometimes have him and then he'd have to go into the system and then he'd get bounced around to different homes and so he finally got to meet our dad and our dad turned out to be uh quite the manipulator we both thought that maybe he had turned a new leaf and our older brother, the half brother is, he definitely told us, don't get your hopes up. 
be prepared for him to let you down. And he definitely did let us down. He's oh. still doing drugs and doing everything just like he used to. So, so he moved in with our dad for a while. And then he ended up moving to California. And about three years ago, he called me. Two and a half years ago, he called and he said, Nicole, it's too expensive. I can't afford California anymore. I can't find a job. I don't know what to do. So I said, come to Kansas City. It's the land of opportunity. We have jobs growing on jobs, growing on jobs. You can get a job so fast here. I promise. Just come out here. So I flew to California and we road tripped from Los Angeles. We went up to San Francisco and visited some of my friends. We went to Vegas. We just went to see all these cool places together. And it was so surreal to be doing that with my brother that I didn't get to grow up with. Yeah. And now he lives in Kansas City. He did get a job. Literally, he got a job offer that same week that he got back. Uh, he's a phlebotomist. Cool. And he met an amazing girl. And they've been dating for two years. And he has a son from a previous uh, relationship. So his son is here, too. And it, it's just, honestly, I would take all of the crazy, terrible memories that I have with my biological parents to have the relationship that I have with him. And my only regret is I just wish that he could have grown up with me. Right. Now, do you believe meeting your, so let me backtrack a little bit. So it must be, you know, you have half siblings that like me, I, my siblings are half siblings. So... You know, that's, that's cool. But to find that you actually have a full blown, same mom, same dad, brother who was raised in a different environment than you, because it sounds like you were raised in a very loving, calm, supportive family. And it's kind of yeah. sounds like the rest of your siblings were raised in a very chaotic situation. Yeah. What's it like when you, like you open the door, you meet him. He's not just your half brother. Like he, you guys could have lived together since you were babies. That must be a roller coaster ride of emotions. It's been really hard because I, first of all, carry a lot of guilt for, and I shouldn't, I understand that. I've been to therapy for this myself, oh, but yeah. I shouldn't feel guilt for it. But I do feel guilt for being the literally the only one of all of my siblings, even my half brother did not have the, on my dad's side, didn't have the best childhood. Um, I feel really guilty for being the only one that had amazing, loving parents and everybody else just bounced around their whole lives. And you can see it reflects in their lives. I, the, uh, the ones of us that made it, my brother, my full-blooded brother, me and my half brother on my dad's side, we had the most, chance we always joke that our dad's dna is what got us through it because we're the only ones that have his dna and everybody else is just a mess oh yeah but right. um, so because your mom's it, dna is just a train wreck apparently yeah because yeah. it's just not doing anybody any favors but so i struggle with that guilt and i know that for my brother james it was hard for him because he has to see you know I had to struggle through all of this and try to get on top of where I want to be in life. And it feels like you had everything handed to you. It's how he, he kind of envisioned it for a long time. And I finally had to confront him and say, you know, I realized that we grew up differently. I realized that I had a lot of opportunities that you didn't get, but I'm trying my best to help you out now. And I'm, 
I love you and you're my brother and I want you in my life and I want to be a part of your life and I want to give you those opportunities that I got that you didn't get that I cannot give them to you if you don't let me. And so we finally had this big moment. I think he had a moment of like, because everyone's left him in his life. So he's always had the struggle of trying to be there for himself because no one else is there. And he just subconsciously kept thinking that I was going to leave too. And as soon as he understood that I wanted him in my life and I wasn't going to leave him, he could accept that, you know, I, yes, I want to be in your life and, and we should try to make this shitty experience of not growing up together as good as we can. Cause now we know each other. Right. Do you, um, so not, when you met him, when you met your full biological brother, do you think meeting him has helped him get onto the right path? Would Do you think that he was possibly going down a wrong path and then when you met him, it got him on track or no? My brother has always managed to, to give himself the best opportunity he can. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is he and my brother, Jesse, Jesse died of the heroin overdose. They had very similar backgrounds. They went to very similar foster homes. And James has this motivation and this drive that really carried him through all those experiences. He didn't do drugs. He didn't do the things that a lot of my siblings were doing. And he didn't get into a lot of the trouble that a lot of my siblings were getting into. And he doesn't he doesn't talk a lot about it. And I don't want to um, tell too much of his story. But oh, yeah, I absolutely. do believe that there is there is a lot of his personality that really got him through a lot of his life. But I think us meeting was just that extra support that he needed to really get to where he wanted to be in life. Because I, when you're surrounded by people who aren't doing their best and who have just decided to settle for whatever they can get, you don't think that you can strive for more. And my personality has always been keep striving, keep trying. You can always do better. You can always improve. I think that influence on him was just the extra oomph that he needed to really get to where he wanted to be in life. And now he's he's doing a job that he loves. He's making enough money to support himself and his son. And I'm just really proud of him and how far he's come. You know, th- this is actually a happy ending to this story regarding your relationship with your siblings, because some of them are just going to be lost and there's nothing you can do when you have 10 kids and none of them are with you there. You're, you're probably not coming back from that. And I don't mean to laugh. I laugh when I'm nervous. Um, (laughs) but I love that you talked about your guilt because I suffer with guilt on a daily basis. And I don't think it has anything to do with being raised Catholic. I just have a lot of guilt how have you worked through the guilt of, you know, I was adopted by loving people. They basically saved me probably from a life of fucking craziness. And here I am meeting my brothers and my sisters who are not, who don't have that. Like, how do you get through that? It was really tough to work through that guilt. And I think what it, what finally did it for me to get me to stop feeling so badly about what I've been given is just to realize that I didn't choose this. I did not choose to be adopted over everybody else. I didn't choose to get a loving family. I didn't, I didn't choose any of this. Just like James didn't choose 
to be in foster homes and, and everything that he experienced. So at the end of the day, I just have to realize this is, I could not have changed any of this. This is just what happened to me. And just because it's a good thing, just because something good happened to me, that, that doesn't mean that I have to take responsibility for it or that I have to feel like I should feel bad for, for having the better experience and the better childhood. All I can do now is try to make the best of, of James's life now and try to help him give his son a great childhood. And I just really had to remind myself, this isn't something that you did on purpose. It's not like you bailed on everybody and let them grow up alone. I didn't even know any of them until my, my mid twenties. So another thing that I struggled with, and I don't know if, if you have a hard time with this because you're also an only child. When I first found all of my family members, it was so tough for me to stay on top of what everyone was doing and trying to connect with people. It just felt overwhelming because I'm used to just me. I don't have any siblings. So that was really complicated. And I started to realize through my communication with them, there's only so much I can do. There's only so many conversations I can have and and I just realized you know James and I have a really close connection we have a lot of the same goals and ideas and I had to cut out a lot of my siblings that didn't have those goals or those ethics or morals honestly that I wanted in my life you know just because someone is a biological influence or biological family doesn't mean you have to keep them in your life so I have cut out my mom I have cut out my dad. I have cut out my other siblings. And that's not because I think that they don't deserve to be in my life, but I think that I would rather focus on the positive and the people who are willing to treat me well in my life. And I don't want to be manipulated or ask for money or, you know, and James right. and I have a real relationship, a real connection. And, and that's why I'm focusing on that connection rather than my entire biological family. Right. And that's, and that's the healthy way. You know, when I first found out that I had DNA siblings um, and yes, I'm, I spent 45 years as an only child. I can remember saying to Matt, like, what if I don't like them or what if I don't like <laughs> yeah. one of them? And I was like, and Matt's like, you know, you don't have to be friends with your siblings. He's like, there's nothing written in stone that you have to be with your family if you don't want to be. So I kind of, you know, I do like my siblings. Um, I'm so used to being an only child that I'm, I still consider myself to be an only child. Um, yeah. The three of them grew up together. They all took care of each other. You know, they were always there for each other. So they're very tight. I think they talk every day. They know about what everyone's doing. I don't think they go like to the store and then without someone knowing about it. And I am, I'm kind of over here. I call myself brother adjacent. <laughs> I say, I'm over here. I'm an only child. Yes, we share DNA. I love you guys, but I, I'm never going to be ready to be assimilated into your I think of Bo the Borg, um, Star Trek. I mean, I'm never going to be assimilated into that circle. It's never going to be the four of us, if that makes any sense. It's going to be them. Yeah. And then I'm here and I love them and I think they're great. And I talk to what my, my oldest, youngest sister like every week. But 
I don't see myself going there for Thanksgivings and things like that because this is, I've spent my entire life alone and, and I'm okay with that. And I think that's important for when you meet these DNA family members, it's important to find the balance that makes you happy. I think that's, I think that's really important. Think about that. Yeah, no, it's, I, you know, when I was growing, so when you, when you found out you were adopted, what did you think about more, your parents or the, your biological parents or the idea that you had siblings because you were an only child? Because I knew I had that half brother, I thought about my half brother all the time because I, my, my parents who raised me had foster children for the first couple of years of my life. And so I had kids in and out of my household and for the first probably six years or so. And so I had a little bit of an idea of what it might be like to have siblings, just enough to think that it's great. You know, people grow up with siblings and they say, oh, you never want that. Why would you want that? Uh, but I, I would occasionally think about it. And because I knew I had at least one brother, I think I definitely fantasized about having siblings and a bigger family and being an aunt. It really was devastating to me to think that I would never be an aunt unless I married someone who had siblings. So then when I found out that I had siblings, it was for more than one. It was really exciting because I've always wanted to be an aunt. Yeah, my um, my one sister the youngest, oldest one. So she's the youngest one of the three. And then, but she's, of course, they're all older than me. She has um, two, two children and they're adults. And I've met my niece. I guess she's my niece, right? She's amazing. She would be, if I had a kid, (laughs) that's who I would want. She reads books. She's smart. She's a school teacher. Like she's everything. Like, I'm like, if I had a kid. So in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, like we were chatting because I, you know, on Instagram, I always share the books I read. And then she responded like, oh, I read that book. It was great. And I said, I thought like for a moment, I'm like, I never thought that I would be speaking to my adult niece about (laughs) books. Like whoever thought that was going to happen. Those um, moments are so cool. Yeah, it was just this moment of, holy shit, I'm speaking to my my niece who is, like, if I had a kid, that's who I, I would want her to be my kid. And then it makes me think <laughs> I should have a relationship with her. But then I'm lazy and I'm like, eh, do I really want to have a relationship with people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, when I was growing up, um, I knew I had those three siblings, but I... Um, But I would always say to myself, like in my 20s, I would say, you know what? I know that my biological dad didn't want me. He proved that, right? But I really, what's it going to be like having the, I have siblings out there. I have people that are my, my, that are my, I have brothers. Because at that point, I thought they were all boys. I'm like, I have brothers (laughs) out there, brothers. And then when I finally met them, my brother Frank, when he started crying, cause I had already shared with him. I was like, Oh yeah, I was molested by my adopted father. And they were like, we can't believe we were 10 miles from you. And then of course my, my brother Frank's like, I would have took care of him. And I'm like, there's that Italian mafia. <laughs> I knew it was in there. I don't know what you would do, yeah. but <laughs> they would be, if they listen to this episode to hear that, they're going to be like, Oh my God, we're not the <laughs> mafia. I'm going to be like, I don't know. Prove it. <laughs> When was the last time you spoke to your mom, your your biological mom? Well, so my biological mom actually got arrested in 
January or February because she was drunk driving, hit and killed a cyclist, and left the scene. So she is in jail, and no one can figure out how to contact her. I actually haven't spoken to her. She messaged me when my when my mom passed away, and okay. she said something to the effect of, you know, I know that was your mom, and I'm not trying to replace her, but please remember that you always have me. And I have mixed feelings about that, because I, I, I wanted to say to myself, well, that's nice of her to say, that's nice for her to reach out, but at the same time, I wanted to say, no, I don't want you in my life, get out, like, no. So I, I felt really complex, but I responded and said, yeah, that would be nice, I'll, I'll talk to you at some point, I not right now. So that was in December. And then in January or February, I'm not quite sure which, is when she was arrested for this latest um, hit and run. So, and so she'll be in jail for a long I don't, time. Yes. Yeah. She's, she's pretty old now. So she, I mean, pretty much the rest of her life is gone. And my brother has a relationship with her because she raised him primarily. So he's been trying to contact her and he's not sure how to get a hold of her because she has to call him and there's a whole bunch of craziness. And I don't know if we're ever going to get to hear from her again or if what's going to happen. Part of me doesn't care, but there's always that worry of like, oh, well, what if she passes away? And then I wish I had said something. So I, really, I'm not quite sure where we are if I'm just being completely candid about it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I have no idea. And... You're not, and you know what? That's fine, and that's good, and you have the right to say, you know what? I don't know how I feel about that. And if you do, if she does pass away in prison, I mean, it's a hit and run. She, you know what? It's it's this thing about these people who never learn from their fucking mistakes in life. It's like yeah. how uh, how many times do you have to mess up until you have a hit and run, and then you leave the scene? You're basically gone forever, but. I think it's fascinating how your brother who lives in the town you live in has a relationship with her and you guys are close and he has this relationship with her. You're kind of off to the side. Like, I don't know really what I'm th yeah. So that must be an interesting dynamic for you and your brother. Like he's worried about his mom and you're like, I don't know how I feel. It's, it's really rough because he, he also has some complex feelings about her, but at the end of the day, she's his mom. And so he obviously has a lot more feelings about her than I do. But it was a point of contention for a while because I didn't want to communicate with her. And she would ask him every time she would call him. Could you tell Nicole that I love her? Could you tell Nicole that I want to talk to her? Could you please tell Nicole to call me? She used to send me letters and she'd say, I wish I could hear from you. And I just, I had enough moments with her that I decided that she wasn't someone that I wanted in my life. I, I, my dad, actually, my biological dad paid for her to come meet me for the first time. And they tried dating again when I first found them. And that was a disaster. I can't even imagine. What a weird thing. But I had one night where they were, super cordial. They came up to Kansas City for my birthday. She had just, um, I had just met her for the first time the week before that. And we went to dinner and we looked through my yearbook and we talked about old stories and I told them about my life. 
and I had that moment with them and that's really, I don't really want anything else. I, mm. Everything else is, as that was my closure that I needed and, and I don't, I don't really want to keep forcing something that isn't real. She's a terrible person right now. She just killed someone because she couldn't accept responsibility and do the right thing. And I just don't feel like that's a positive influence that I want in my life. And, and I'm a hundred percent on board with that. And I think that that's a very strong, you're a very, first of all, you're a very, if I haven't said this, you're a very strong woman and very, I'm very impressed how you have been able to handle all this. This is a lot to be thrown at somebody in their twenties. Um, so please, please pat yourself on the back and I hope you give yourself a lot of grace if you're having stressful days and just say, you know what, I'm just gonna not worry about, about her right now or, or about this. I'm just going to focus on me. Hope you do that. Yeah, I, it's really, it hasn't been as hard for me to do that as you would think, because I just, I really put a lot of energy into my parents who raised me, and I didn't want to take any energy away from them. And looking back now that my mom has passed away, I'm really glad that I made that choice. Yeah, that's, um, that's incredible. Now, if, um, God, you get me all choked up a little bit. So, because when I think of your, <laughs> when I think of your mom and those journals, um, it, it chokes me up. If you could, so say your brother got information about your bio mom and he could go visit her and she wanted you to come. Do you think you would go or no? I would go for my brother if he wanted me to go. When we found out that Jesse was in the hospital for the overdose, I drove my brother there to see him and we went, I, it was the most, it was just the craziest because we, we drove to Dayton, Ohio, where, where Jesse was in the hospital. We had like a six hour road trip together and we took his son and his, the, guy, the girl he was dating at the time stayed. I guess she does. I don't know if she went with us. Anyway, so my brother and me and the girl he was dating and his son went on this road trip to Dayton, Ohio. We went to the hospital and I met Jesse for the first time and he sounded exactly like our mother. Mm. biological mother you and mean, he just couldn't take responsibility oh, okay. for being there he just kept making excuses and i remember my brother said you have to take responsibility for this jesse you are here because you were doing drugs don't blame anybody else and there was this moment of you're right <laughs> you're right but he just he still couldn't say it so we're in dayton ohio and we're staying with my biological grandpa and I remember sitting in the bedroom, my step-grandma had made the bed and she had just made it all nice and she'd put some flowers on the dresser. And I remember when I met her, she showed me up to the room and she put her hand on my arm and she said, this is your home too, or something like that. She was just saying something to the effect of like, make yourself at home here. So when we went to bed that night, I had my own room and I was sitting on the bed and it was so much to think about how this could have been my home because James lived there for a lot of his life with our mom. Okay. And to sit in that room and think about this could have been my family. I could have known these people my whole life. What would this have been like? How different would this be? It's just very weird to almost insert yourself into an alternate reality. 
It's like it's like if you were to live next door to your friends and you see your friend Susie and you think, I wonder if my what it would be like if my life was Susie's life. That's what it that's pretty much the way it is. You're trying to think about what your life would be if it was something else. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, I don't even know what your original question was because I got so wrapped up in that. But I asked um, I oh, asked we if you would about- go see your mom. Yes, if I would go see my mom. So I went and saw Jesse with him, and that was really for James. I went to support James because I, he and Jesse grew up, they were very close as children, and I knew that that would be a really hard thing for him to do alone. And so we had that that drive together and, and going to see Jesse together, and I would view going to see our mom the same as just being there mm-hmm. to support James. Right. And I think that's really special. And I, I kind of knew you were going to go that way. I, th- I, I kind of had this idea that you were going to say, I wouldn't go see her on my own, but to support my brother, I would. Because yeah. if at this point, and you know, I don't know your biological mom at all, but because of my own experience in life, having a toxic mother, her whole goal probably is for you to forgive her bad behavior. Because yeah. when you have shitty people like that, they don't really care about other people, they care about making themselves feel good. So it's, you. can you forgive me for what I did? It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with I want to feel better because yeah, I, want, exactly. I want you to forgive me and not hate me. Um, so, but here's the thing with your, your biological mom. She's going to have a long time to sit by herself and think about her entire life. Yeah. So she'll, yeah, I, yeah, I think she needs it. Yeah, she she should take up journaling. <laughs> she really should. <laughs> she should. I mean, well, I'm sure there's therapy in prison, but that your story is incredible. It's it's um, and I I'm so connected to it because it, there's little bits and pieces that are so like my story, and I think that's why I wanted to have this conversation. So thank you for coming on and just being so open and candid about a really serious topic. So thank you for that. Absolutely. But before Thanks for I, having me. Oh, yeah, but I want to add, there's two, th- but you're not done yet, trust me. So, <laughs> you know, it's so negative right now in the world. Um, 2020 is just a really messed up year, but I truly believe that for every bad thing that happens, there's always a positive. So can you tell me what's the best thing to come out of 2020 for you so far? Mm, best thing to come out of 2020 for me so far. Yes, well, I'm, I'm forcing you to find the positive in something. <laughs> it's been hard to find the positive, not because I don't see the positive, but because I'm a very empathetic person and I realize that a lot of people are struggling even harder than I am with COVID right now. They're losing loved ones to it and they're losing their jobs. They're losing their homes. I mean, people are really getting destroyed by this. And I know you're telling me to be positive. So I'm getting back to the point. But, <laughs> um, but I really have enjoyed this time that I have. It's a forced break. I, I am legally not allowed to photograph. I finally am this week, but I have not been allowed to photograph people or be around people for eight weeks now. And honestly, I needed this break to have time to reflect on myself and 
to think about my grief and accept my grief. I, I was supposed to photograph a, a wedding. My first wedding of the season would have been in April. And now I don't have another wedding until I think now our next one is in the end of August. So I, when my mom passed away, I was so worried about, oh no, like I'm going to have these weddings. I'm going to have to go watch people hug their moms and cry. And I'm, how am I going to do this without thinking of my mom and bursting into tears? How am I going to do it? And now I've had almost eight months that will be, that I'll have without shooting a wedding since she passed away to reflect and get used to the idea of photographing people again and being in that space again. So while this has been really tragic and very stressful financially, I never thought that I would get this kind of opportunity to take a break from my work and really focus on my mental health and my happiness. And so that has definitely been a really important positive from all of this. That. That's a huge positive. The idea that the world stopped and yes, it's crazy and bad things are happening to everybody. People are sick, people are losing their jobs, but at the end of the day, you also have to be as mentally healthy to continue your life. And so it's almost like you've had this, this pause where you can focus on you. And that's a really big positive. See, I knew you'd have one. I knew it. I knew it. All right. Before I let you go, though, we have to play my game. My game. Let's get grounded. Where I say a bunch of airlines, you pick one, and then I ask you the question. It's pretty simple, I promise. Okay. So, American Airlines, Delta, Frontier, United, Spirit, or JetBlue? Oh, I'm going to go Delta. Delta. All right. If you were offered a free vacation anywhere in the world. Where is the one destination you would never want to visit? I know it's got Ooh. a little twist there, right? I know. I like it. Never want to visit. Yes. So if I said to you, mm. I'm going to pay for you to go anywhere you want, where would you not want to go? Ooh, that is a really tough question. <laughs> well, I think I would never want to go to anywhere in Ohio. I don't want to go anywhere in Ohio. <laughs> Ohio. So, <laughs> so if like I said, right to, Ohio up. if I said to you, I'm going to pay for you to go to Cleveland for the weekend and you could go to the a rock and roll hall of fame and you could go to, you would say, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. I'll just stay home. <laughs> oh my God. Nicole, thank you so much. Please let everyone know where they can find you, where they can book you for, for your photography, where they can find you on social media. This is the part where I say you can, Oh, I don't want to say hoe yourself out because your mom was a your biological mom <laughs> was a prostitute. It's in the DNA. Oh no. What a way to end this amazing conversation, but no, let everyone know where they can find you, where they can see your work. Cause you're a fantastic photographer. Thank you so much. My Instagram handle is Nicole Bissy photo N I C O L E B as in boy, I S S E Y photo. And pretty much you can find all of my information from that Instagram. But I have a website. It's NicoleBissyPhotography.com. You can Google Nicole Bissy. My website should come up. I'm all over the internet, so it shouldn't be too difficult. Awesome. And I'm also going to put all those links into the description of the episode so people can reach out to you and they can look at your work. So thank you so much, Nicole. I really appreciate it. You are fantastic. And I know your future is going to be bright. Thanks, Joe. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.
Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.